We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 272. Our guest today is an equestrian, but she is also an equestrian travel and lifestyle writer based in upstate New York. She began her career at Travel and Leisure and is a former senior editor at Noel Floyd. She's an equestrian freelance writer for Rob Report, a regular contributor to Noel Floyd, Horse Network, Plat Horse, and her work has been featured in Endless Vacation, This Old House, Smithsonian, and Wynn Magazine. She holds a master's degree in journalism from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. She loves to write about all topics in the equestrian industry, including her experiences as an adult amateur working towards her riding goals while enjoying time with her young family. She also is hilarious. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Nina Fedrizzi. Hi, Nina. Hi, Bethany. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I am so excited to talk to you about writing and horses and how you've made such a cool um, kind of like area of the industry for yourself. But I'd first love to hear how that love of horses component uh, came to be in your life. How did you first find yourself in the horse world? Yeah, um, absolutely. I um, I started riding when I was nine uh, in upstate New York. Um, and I did hunters, mostly a little bit of jumpers here and there. I mostly showed at the local level and did some rated showing. Um, and I did that all through high school and high school, I actually bought a horse from my trainer at the time, um, that she had bred. And so I actually went to college, uh, locally, uh, right outside Syracuse, New York. So I could keep my horse with her and, uh, and keep training. Love it. And so obviously now you freelance, write For a lot of different equestrian related businesses, did you always kind of dream of being a writer? Um, did you think about being a writer in the equestrian space early on? How did this career kind of unfold? Yeah, I think I actually, I started out kind of classically, like, like most kids, like I always knew I wanted to be in the industry and in the sport. I think growing up, I always thought of myself as, as going into riding and training eventually, um, and doing that professionally. And, um, so I actually, when I graduated college, I graduated on like a Saturday and on Sunday, I drove down to Southern New York and got on a Brookledge van and with a bunch of horses and did the 40 hour trip up to Spruce Meadows in Calgary. And I groomed there for Wembley Farms and Norman Del Giorgio for the spring circuit there. Wow. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. I learned a ton, got to do some exercise riding and um, got to take care of, you know, some really amazing horses. But I think I, I ended that experience. And when I got home, I just felt like I couldn't bridge that gap. Like I, I was in love with show jumping at that time, but I'm like, I just do not have the background or the experience to be able to do that professionally as a, as a rider or a trainer. It's just not going to happen for me. And I was pretty depressed about it at the time. And my mom said, you know, like, what if you, instead of writing professionally, like you've always loved to write, why don't you, why don't you try writing professionally? 
And I thought she was crazy. And I said, no way. And um, but I did end up applying to Syracuse University, the new house school here for the master's program in journalism. And I did that and I got in and I loved the program. And I ended up going to New York after that and working for a travel magazine and kind of in a roundabout way, but got back to the horse space when I, I moved up to Vermont with my boyfriend, now husband, and um, he was doing his training there. And I ended up starting with Horse Network, which was just launching out of Burlington. So it was sort of fateful timing. And wow. I've been doing it since. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Having written and interviewed people, I mean, really at the top of the sport, do you find any common themes or maybe words of wisdom that, you know, anyone listening could learn from? What what themes have you seen from people that are at the top of the sport? Yeah. I always love the stories, you know, the, the people that maybe don't come from that traditional, more affluent background that, you know, the sport is so well known for and, and really make a name for themselves and, and do well. But sort of along with that are some of the incredible horses, um, you know, that are competing in show jumping well into their teens, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. I'm thinking like Talibazi and Emerald and, mm. uh, and what's really incredible to that is, you know, when they retire sound you know, as, as a good number of them do and go on to breeding careers or whatever, you know, I think that just speaks to the management of those horses and, and the riders I talk to are so, you know, passionate about that. It's not just about good riding and good care and good veterinary work and all those things. It's also about, you know, the horse's mental state and giving them the breaks in their career so that they're able to sustain it for the long term. And, you know, I think that's something that we can kind of all learn for from when we're planning our horses' schedules for the season or prioritizing, you know, certain things, you know, vet care or supplements or things like that over, you know, other things. I think that, you know, it's possible to, for these horses to have long and, and really amazing careers. It's just the management part is so key. When you had kind of made connections being, you know, on the exercise riding and, um, you know, that end of the industry mm -hmm. to then transitioning to the writing side. What was that like for you in building connections? Did you feel like you had connections in kind of that like writing or, you know, marketing or that sort of area of the industry versus where you were, where you were, you know, like working for a program and riding and things like that? Yeah. You know, I've been really lucky. I've I've worked with some great editors, you know, in, in various horse publications and and they're really great about kind of, you know, leveraging their networks and and making those connections for pieces. Um but, you know, I think also it's I found it's important and I always try to sell this to my husband that like <laughs> being a part of the industry is so key and being at the horse shows and watching the classes and, you know, watching the classes on live stream when I am at home, you know, I think just really living and breathing it is, is as much as I can is important, you know, for every, for every aspect. You have, and you kind of have to have a good pulse on what's being covered in the industry. What do you think the equestrian world is maybe not covering enough? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the things we always celebrate and talk about a lot is how in equestrian, this is something that men and women compete as equals, you know, in, in mm -hmm. the Olympic level and, you know, and that's awesome. And it's true. And we've certainly had incredible uh, female riders in this country. But I think, you know, more and more when I look at the launching rankings, you know, if it's been at least for a long time that their men are at least in the top 10, you know, down to, I think, 20 or 30 now before we have our first woman on the in the ranking list. 
And I think it's like, it's time that we start asking ourselves why, you know, I think I've talked to a a couple of top riders about this top female riders. And I think that, you know, sure, there is something to be said for these are huge jumps. And, you know, the horses that do them are these incredibly powerful animals that yes, if you have a man's strength, that does play a role. But I think that maybe the bigger aspect is the ownership of these horses. And I think the horses that are available in a lot of cases in this country and beyond my senses, they go a lot to male riders, young male riders. And, you know, that's not to say that to take anything away from them and certainly not to the riders at the top of the ranking list. But I think there's a lot of really, really talented female riders, you know, not just out of the junior ranks, fresh out of the junior ranks, but really who've been in the sport for a while and worked their way up who really, you know, deserve a shot. And I think anything we can do to sort of, you know, get the eye and the attention of, of owners with these incredible athlete horses and and open it up to, to more female riders, I think the better the sport will be for it. One thing that I've seen you write about is the conundrum of the amateur life. Um, In an article that poked a little fun on the amateur life, you write about how there are, you know, are kind of lots of amateurs are spending so much time and money just to be kind of terrified in the ring, which I've seen so much. Um, Why is it important to you to kind of bring some light to that kind of that kind of situation that a lot of amateur riders face. Yeah, like it's the old joke, right? We we all spend so much incredibly incredible time and money and effort and we get into the ring and it's like we just want that 2 minutes to be over, you know? It's like why are we here? And I'm you know, I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. I think that's why I understand, you know, the mentality and and the feelings so well. And, you know, riding, sure, it's an extreme sport. I think certainly if you're an eventer, like you can argue, riding riding is an adrenaline sport. It's an extreme sport in some cases. But I also think the dominant narrative tends to be around this fear and, you know, how how afraid I was and, you know, how I'm set, it's setting me back and all these things. And I think, you know, there's an equally good story to be told about you know, how, how we cope with that fear, because I think, you know, we all feel it. I think it's something that we deal with. It's really, you know, and not just in riding in life, like anything that's worth doing. I think there's always a certain amount of fear associated with it. And it's how we cope with that fear and how we, you know, move forward. That's, that's really kind of defines, you know, our performance or, or anything else that we accomplish. So I just think that telling the other side of that story and encouraging those riders that do that, do that well is really key. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I feel like something that I really love about your writing is kind of infusing some humor and satire into it. Do you feel like that has become kind of, you know, like more of like your writing style? Of, and like, why do you feel like it is important to bring this kind of dynamic and tone into the equestrian space? Because I definitely think it's important to kind of sometimes go about it in this way of maybe like a normally very serious or buttoned up way of that our industry, you know, that many people think that it is. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I've been doing kind of regular satire writing for Horse Network um, for the last few years now. Carly Sparks, the editor there, she's really supportive of that. And I, I think it's just a really great, it's a great way to tell a story. I, I tend to find it, you know, it's still like 50, 50, sometimes the people that get it and the people that, you know, don't realize it's satire. So I've stopped right. actually reading the Facebook comments and a lot of things. Smart. 
but, um, but yeah, no, I think, you know, and one of the things that, you know, we struggle with in this industry is, you know, how different we all are, you know, whether you're English or Western or whether you're dressage or show jumping or eventing or, you know, anything else. I think, you know, uniting in something your podcast does so well, like it's hard to unite those things under one umbrella. We're all so sort of segmented and we all are, you know, love the brands that we love and we love mm-hmm. the riders that we love. And it's really hard to unite everyone under that umbrella. And I think, you know, humor, if it's done well and it's done in a way that doesn't, you know, that's not hurtful to people. Um, but, you know, I put myself into a lot of those, the things that I write about because sure. I'm just as guilty as the next person. But I think that maybe humor is one way that we can sort of unite ourselves under this umbrella a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I feel like doing it well, there's still kind of that really real opportunity for both amateurs and professionals to kind of change the narrative around amateur mm-hmm. riders instead of mm-hmm. maybe, you know, like making jokes or shrugging it off. I feel like if you can do it in the right way, there's definitely an opportunity to maybe there there's kind of like a level of being able to be encouraging of amateurs goals. Oh, how, sure. how do you think both amateurs and professionals can maybe work towards or, you know, maybe like changing that narrative? Yeah. You know, the, the common one that I always feel like I hear is like, you know, and it's true, but like we do our nine to five jobs and then we show up at the ring and the professional gets off from the schooling ring and hands us the horse and we go in and we do our round and give the horse back and go home. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's sort of a dominant thing. And I, and I think there's, that's definitely, I understand that, that feeling and the need to do that. Um, but I think there's other amateurs who are just as invested in the behind the scenes process and bringing a young horse along or, you know, sitting at the ring and watching rounds and knowing everything that goes on with their horse or as much as they can, you know, behind the scenes. I think as a junior, you know, those horsemanship aspects are always so taught and there's so much emphasis placed on them. And then I feel like you age out and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, she's an amateur. She's Mm -hmm. just rider class and go home, you know? And I think that like, you know, having that idea that, that there's more to it and that the riders were, we're all different, you know, and, and there's no right or wrong way to be an amateur, but I think that there is also a good group of, of us that care about that stuff and, you know, want to be as much a part of that as we ever did. Definitely. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like one of the most challenging parts of a training program is the management aspect of all the horses, all of their care, and just the organization of it all. So there is this app that a million riders use today called Equilab, and it really does capture everything you need for your horse to track data, as well as log any information you might refer to in order to keep your horse healthy and safe and organized. I'm talking tracking rides, gate distribution, being able to have your position set live so that other people can keep track of where you are on a trail ride. You can organize your riding, farrier, if you were lunging or jumping a certain day and keep track of the schedule. You can also share your journey with other people who use the app. It just offers so much organization. It's super fun to use and really informative, especially as you get more and more competitive and really every little detail counts that you're able to collect data to really make sure that your horse is in peak performance. But really it is for every level and every discipline. So if you want more information, visit their website at equilab.horse. That's E-Q-U 
ilab.horse and get more information. I think just being able to put yourself in other people's shoes who have maybe a different situation than you. And this is something that I always speak to because I grew up riding, you know, maybe one end of the spectrum of Mm -hmm. intensity or level. And Mm -hmm. then now that I'm a trainer at the other end of the spectrum, it's really allowed me to, instead of maybe talk down on the other end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mm -hmm. have some sort of like, you know, list of excuses or reasons or whatever, really being able to see the other side and Mm -hmm. understand like, Hey, just because, you know, maybe this rider, this, you know, junior amateur has their horses in full care, or they have a groom, they, they, you know, walk up and get on and show doesn't mean they don't love their horses or know what they're doing or know how to care for their horses. And um, so being able to kind of put yourself in the other end of the spectrum shoes to really, um, you know, understand and appreciate why their area is ex- mm-hmm. accepted and why your area is accepted. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think just having that open-mindedness is so important. Yeah, for sure. Tell me a little bit about if you're kind of like looking back at your career thus far, are there specific articles that you have written or worked on that stick out in your head as being, you know, some of your favorites or, or certain topics that you're particularly passionate about? Yeah. I think an article I did a few years ago for um, Noelle Floyd, we talked about uh, the veterinary suicide epidemic Mm -hmm. um, going on right now, or it's still going on. It's actually gotten a lot worse since the pandemic, just in terms of uh, veterinary medicine in general. But I interviewed several large animal vets and they were just so generous with their time and sharing their, their own stories about dealing with these issues and, you know, the debt that they come out of school with and the long hours and the lack of support and sort of this new aspect of social media, which is so detrimental or can be so detrimental to them. And so I just, you know, I heard from several vets, large and small animal after, after it came out and they were just, you know, grateful that their story was being told. And, you know, we were trying to get the word out about what life's actually like. So I just think, you know, I was really proud to be a part of that. And I think it's a good friendly reminder for all of us to really kind of extend that compassion to our Mm -hmm. veterinary large and small animal and just kind of remember what they go through. And, and, you know, it's definitely, it's tough. It's a tough industry and now more than ever. Definitely. For maybe those listening who are interested in combining horses and riding, but maybe don't have the connections, don't have the experience, what advice would you give them? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, there's definitely a need um, in, in this industry. Like I find there's so many stories to tell and, you know, I think the horse shows are a great place to get your feet wet and, you know, at a press room, if you can volunteer at a press room or volunteer, there's, you know, some wonderful PR agencies um, that, you know, you can get experience writing press releases and doing interviews and being part of it. I think anything you can do in that sense is huge. And then, you know, on your own time, blogging, social media, all that stuff, you know, is all part of the package and it's all valuable. Anytime you you can write and get experiences, it's always going to be beneficial in the long run. Definitely. What would you say is something that you are passionate about in the industry that you feel like other people maybe don't talk about or know enough about? 
Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that strikes me is how much, you know, we show horses, you know, we, they change hands so quickly, mm. you know, the course of a career, you know, I feel like I've had seven, eight horses come and go. And I just, you know, I really worry myself personally about where my horses go down the road and, and, you know, horse slaughter is something in this country. It's sort of, you know, the dirty little secret that we don't, want to talk about too much. And I think, you know, it's like, oh, that's always the other, you know, it's racehorses or it's, you know, workhorses or something. But, you know, the reality is it's, it's hard sometimes to know what happens to our horses. And so I just feel like kind of keeping an open mind about the, the ownership aspect and where your, you know, where your responsibility ends for a horse that you take care of. And, and especially an older horse who may be at the end of their competitive career, you know, that's one side of it. And then I think supporting some of the great rescues in this country that, that do a good job in, you know, pulling horses from slaughter and responsibly retraining them. Bella run equine in Ohio is one. I, I, they're really close to my heart, but I think it's just, you know, it bears remembering that, you know, we have these horses sometimes for a short time and to do a purpose, but, you know, they could go on 20, 30 years and, you know, we may not know what their, what their last stop is. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. Are are you currently riding or are you you yep. are. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that and that dynamic. Do you, uh, one, like balancing time because obviously <laughs> you're busy and doing yep. all, all the things and yeah. so trying to balance that with writing, with riding, but yep. then also how, what, what do you feel like is the importance? I know you were um, saying that you, you know, mentioned to your husband about being in the industry and kind of knowing what's going on mm-hmm. at, at those, mm-hmm. you know, levels, but what what do what do you feel like is the importance of working in the industry and mm-hmm. then also you personally riding in the industry yeah yeah i think it you know it definitely goes hand in hand you know i think you can you know i i most get story assignments from home and that's great, but there's no substitute for being on the ground. And, you know, I showed it hits a fair amount this summer and just, you know, the story ideas that come up, what you observe, you know, the great conversations you overhear at the ring, like, especially for humor writing, like all that Mm -hmm. stuff is so key. But certainly, you know, I have a mom of two under three right now. So it's definitely a balancing act. It's a juggling act. I, you know, I definitely have to say no more than I'd like to. That's the tough part. But, you know, just carving out time to get to the barn, carving out time to go to the horse show. And kind of like you mentioned, you know, like for a lot of times it is just, you know, less time with my horse than I would otherwise like to spend. But really, you know, it's it is being being there and being a part of it is so key to being able to create writing that's authentic and and to feel still like a part of of the sport and industry. And I feel like you could argue that horse show bills are a work expense. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. You're like just doing some market <laughs> research. <have>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's some of the funny things that you've overheard at the Ingate lately? Oh God, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think there's uh, like mostly pony kids, mm-hmm. pony kids in tears, trying to get kids not to cry in the pony ring. Those are a couple <laughs> of, of good ones. Totally. I feel like I've seen a lot of like reels and TikToks lately of mm-hmm. um, on the other end of like 
the the funny things that like trainers say oh, yeah. um, in the warm up area and then while they're watching um uh-huh. their their clients in the ring and uh-huh. I'm like oh my gosh I wonder if like someone had miked me and my team <laughs> while while our clients are in the ring it would be well and funny definitely like a correlation as the week progresses or like oh, two, yeah. two or three at the horse show I feel like the comments mm-hmm. tend to get oh a my lot. gosh that's so true like the first day versus like Sunday afternoon yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, Nina, thank you so much for taking the time. I've had a ton of fun kind of learning about what you do and how you've really managed to carve a way for yourself to be in the industry that you love. And I, I love that because for me personally, I feel like there isn't any point in doing anything other than something that you're passionate about. So I am so happy that you have found that for yourself as well. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.